Well, you guys asked for it, and today we finally deliver the one and only Randy Blockett on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome back, friends, family, fishing freaks. It is Wednesday. Happy hump day to all of you. Thank you for coming back here for another edition of the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast. And I'll be honest right now, this podcast today is going to be a little different. Just simply because everybody I've had on up to this point, I have a really close relationship with. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with them on the road, at very least, um... And Randy Blockett is not one of those people. He's the first person I'm going to have on here. And and I don't know Randy that well personally. I know all about him. I mean, what he's accomplished in his career is amazing, not just at Bass and FLW. The span of his career is incredible. Um, but what he's doing right now might be even more incredible. I mean, he, in the last one to two years, has started a YouTube channel that is probably one of the fastest growing YouTube channels in fishing. And literally, he has done it by just being himself. Um, and, and when Randy's himself, as many of you know, you may agree with some of the stuff he says. You may disagree with some of the stuff he says. But he does speak from his heart and, and what he believes. And, um, and I believe that's always the best route. Um, and, and it's showing. I mean, the amount of support he's got. It's not just the number of subscribers. I think he's at like 50,000 subscribers now or pretty close. But it's... People that are Randy Blockett fans are Randy Blockett fans. I mean, they are, they watch every single video. I mean, the number of comments and stuff that he gets, it's incredible the engagement that he has with his viewers. And enough about me talking about how good he's doing on his YouTube. This YouTube would probably be doing better if I just got right to the point, and I'll do that right now. Let's bring him in right now. Randy Blockett. Randy Blackett, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. And and I'll be honest, you know, total transparency. This is different for me because we don't know each other that well. I mean, most of these that I do, it's with somebody that I've spent a lot of time with. So 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 this one might be the best ever or or the other. Well, yeah, we sort of uh, our past barely missed because, you know, I quit fishing the top 150s back in 2005 when I had the made the worst decision of my life and went to FLW and didn't take my elite series invitation. But, uh, I think we, we just sort of missed each other there. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you, 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 you're pretty open about that. I mean, when I did a little research on you, I mean, you, you openly talk about that being the worst decision of your life. Yeah. It was terrible. Fishing wise. Yeah, I, you know, I was really close. Uh, Jerry McKinnis and I were real close. You know, we vacationed together and everything. And uh, Jerry had been with Bass and FLW both. And when in 2005, when I got the Elite Series invitation, you know, when it initially started, I had my title sponsorship with Fujifilm, which was connected with FLW. And myself and like a lot of other guys like Clark Winlet, I mean, we we had made had to make the decision about losing our title sponsor uh, and going to Bass or staying with FLW, it was a super difficult decision. Uh, and it was one of those I look back and regret to this day for sure. So it must have been really weird for you a few years later to see all these other guys toiling over a decision that in some ways there is some comparables between the two. You know, you had a bunch of established pros trying to move off to another area. Did, did, was there any similarities or that must have been weird for you to watch? Yeah, I mean, I think that you try to assimilate all the information that you got at the time to, to see if you're making the right decision. And nobody intentionally makes a bad decision. But, of you know, it's I think what happens is you get older, you get to, you trust your intuition a little bit more and your instincts. And at certain periods of your life, you don't listen to that. You know, you listen to the more external parts of it instead of how you really feel about it. But. I, for me, you know, I, I didn't feel good about that decision when I made it. And that's, that should have been an indicator there. You know, that's unfair thing in life. I think really, you know, that, that anybody's ever really put in that position, but I, it's no different than any other job. I would assume, you know what I mean? Like you sell insurance for a living and you make a move to go to a different insurance company. Sometimes it's the best decision you made. And sometimes you, yeah. you regret it. Um, 
Yeah. How different do you do you think your life would be if you had have made that decision you know, that way? It would definitely be on a different trajectory because you know I would have you know fished the elite series and you know you know basically had the opportunity to pursue those uh, things that arose out of that as a re, as a result. As far as my tournament, you know, part of my life goes, you know, FLW immediately started going downhill, like almost like the next year after that decision was made, you know, lost a lot of their Walmart contacts and the energy, you know, dwindled a little bit, you know, the Bassmaster Elite Series took off immediately. And, uh, you know, I, I think that from a tournament's perspective, it would have been a lot different, but that's the whole thing, man. It's like decisions we make in life, even the smallest decisions have like, you know, monumental uh, changes later on, you know. I think there's a movie done about that sometime. I can't remember which one that was. But <laughs> Most movies. I mean, it all comes down. Yeah. Like every decision, like literally, it, when you look at how close, good, bad, or different, when things work out in so many ways, I mean, it literally is because you decided one thing or, or not. And, and I find, I don't know about you, but the more time I spend making a decision, it almost becomes the worst decision. Like generally whatever I I've found in my life. And then trust me, there's plenty of people that will tell you things I did that were wrong probably, but I found in my life that first gut, that thing you like, I got to do this. The more time you spend convincing yourself to do something different, generally it works out wrong for me. That's the same on the water or off the water. Either, either one goes like that, but, but yeah, it's a, like I said, there's no telling how, you know, what would have turned out as far as if I went that path before, but that's just one of the mysteries of life, you know, that we have to deal with all the time. So what do you classify yourself as right now? Because I I mean, obviously, um, I mean, obviously you're a tournament angler, obviously you've got a a very credited career, um, fishing the opens now trying to qualify for the elite series, but you're, whether you like it or not, you're a YouTuber now. I mean, the growth on your channel has been amazing. And and not just the growth, but the following. Like you have a very hardcore group of people that 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 follow that watch every single one of your videos, it seems. Yeah, it's it's really I'm really happy with the way things are right now. The tournaments for me are sort of like uh they're like icing on the on the cake as far as everything else I got going on. You know, the YouTube channel is doing really good, you know, almost ready to hit 50,000 subscribers in a couple of days. And I've only had the channel up for like a year and a half. And like you said, I, a lot of it is just, I, I'm very polarizing. It's just like, I don't really hold back what I'm feeling or talking about. And a lot of people, they like that. And a lot of pe- and some people don't like that. I, I have to just kick people off the channel all the time because I get some crazy hate mail, you know, or crazy hate comments out there. And that's the case. Anytime that you have an opinion on something, you know, you can't be all things to all people, but the YouTube deal is a big thing. And then I've been working with uh, Johnny Schultz at fish the moment for the last two years. And Johnny and I have a lot of projects going on. We build lake map breakdowns for all the lakes across the country. That's, I could do that. It's literally something I could do 24 hours a day if I had the time to do it. And then the tournaments, um, one of the things the tournaments have done, it's like, I love the competition. I still love competing in the tournaments, um, but it gives a lot of social media content. And for a lot of guys out there, the, the, the advent of social media and the impact that it's having on their industry, it simply gets more impressions and more eyeballs and tournament performance. I mean, you know, somebody can win a tournament. They don't get as many impressions on that win as a 25 year old YouTuber that's, walking a farm pond or something like that. So the tournaments to me gives me a lot of YouTube content. You know, it still feeds my competitive juices, makes me feel alive out on the tournaments there. You know, obviously I wish I was, you know, fishing the elite series at this point, but uh, it's, it's still, everything's working out pretty good right now. So do you think in some ways the YouTube was a result of almost frustration? You know, like when I hear you say like, a tournament, you can win a tournament and not get as much exposure as a 25 year old kid at a, at a farm pond, which is a hundred percent true in some situations. So did you turn to YouTube being like, ah, well, I mean, I'm going to have to throw my hat in there or, or why, why the, the interest in YouTube, or was it just simply like everybody else? You got to be everywhere. 
I was, you know, to be honest, David, what I was trying to do when I started this, like, you know, almost two years ago, I was just trying to, to come up with something to bring more value to my tournament sponsors, because since I wasn't fishing the FLW tour, since that went under, wasn't fishing the elite series, I had to do something to provide value to those sponsors. And that's why I, I you know, just created the YouTube channel. And I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I am low tech. I, everything I do, even to this day, is on my cell phone. I don't know how to edit it. And when I started it, it's like, man, I don't know. I don't have drones. I don't have music. I don't know how to edit. I said, I, it, probably nobody's going to want to watch this. So I just got talking like in, out, you know, in my tackle room or something, just l- low tech, no nothing on there. And I got all these people started commenting on it. It's like, man, I really like that format. I really like the simplicity of it. I don't, I don't need music. I don't need drones. You know, I just want hardcore hogging information. So I've, I've sort of developed a base around that a little bit as far as low tech, old school type type of a deal, you know? So there's, there's a, and most of my demographic out there is probably 40 to 65. So that's sort of the, you know, a lot of people can relate to my age on that. Which isn't the biggest demographic on YouTube too, which, which right. really stands out as, as interesting in itself. Um, and at the, and I think I find it frustrating as, as a guy who's worked to produce TV my whole life and, you know, getting bigger cameras and, you know, better shots and all this, mm-hmm. I, I find it frustrating, but it's a true fact of, of social media that there is something about just setting a camera up and and just talking to it like you do. And, and it builds a relationship with people. And, and I think it's one of the advantages. I think honestly, if, if your channel tomorrow, you know, somebody, some genius came along and said, Hey, let's spend all sorts of money on this. I don't think you'd, you'd see the results the same. Like I, I think people like the genuine kind of feel of it. Is it as genuine behind the scenes as it is in front of the scenes. Cause literally to me, it feels like Randy wakes up and puts his camera on a <laughs> tripod and, and talks to it. It has a topic, probably an outline, but basically is it as, is that as simple as it is? Or is there a lot more thought that goes into it? I meant. No, there's like zero thought that goes into it. It's like, I have to film these videos based upon everything else I go, got going on. Cause we got three young boys here at the house. Yeah, You guys watch it. You guys see my four-year-old son, Elijah come, he barges in all the time. That's always going on. So it's just, I try to just do it whenever I can. Sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night. Sometimes it's six o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's in the truck on the way to the lake. It's just whenever I have the moment to do it. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about from day to day. I just sort of wake up and, it's like, okay, what, what is something that people can use right now to help them catch more fish? And I've, I've got, I've got so many years of fishing under my belt that I've yeah. got all this information in my head. And that's what the cool thing about it is to be able to uh, relate that to people. And I kept everything a secret for so many years. I was, I was like one of the guys, and a lot of guys are still out there that we didn't share anything, everything that we learned, you kept to yourself. But what happened to me is my YouTube started I was, I was starting to make enough money with YouTube that it was becoming a lot more than what I could even win in tournaments. So it's like, I'm saying to myself, it's like, why don't I just share everything I know about fishing? Because I can make more money doing that than if I went out and started winning tournaments. So <laughs> a lot of it was from a financial standpoint where, and it was sort of difficult to release all these secrets that took years to develop. I mean, a lot of these things that I share are things that have come through decades of just frustration and create and just experimentation just myself on the water that I've kept close to me so but it's like now it's like I said what's the difference if I if I want to fish tournaments to, to earn enough money to pay my bills and if I can do it better with YouTube why not give it up so that's sort of what I'm doing right now and and, and it, it works I mean people want that genuine that real information and and I think one of the words you used earlier, and, and I love that you used it about yourself because several times I've used it about people, the word polarizing. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and several times it's blowing back on me. You know what I mean? Like you said that, that I was polarizing and I do not look at that as a negative. I look at that as a polarizing person as somebody you can't look away from. Whether I agree with what you say or disagree with what you say, 
I respect enough about what you say that I got to hear what you know what I mean? Like right. you, you're polar, you're polarizing. And, and I think that that, where did the, I mean, there's sometimes you say things that upset people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's, you know, they, there's a lot of sensitive types out there and there's a lot of people out there that they don't, they don't really have the ability uh, to, you know, have like a respectful uh, convert or respectful, critical thing yeah. conversation on any topic. They, they get offended extremely easy with that. And that's the thing about it. It's like any time that I bring up the slightest topic that, sh- that, is, that is considered controversial, even though it shouldn't. I mean, if I bring up my fact that I don't like live scope or if I talk about climate, I'd never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or if, I, if I talk about climate change and how it's affecting the bass or I did something on, on the COVID vaccine, it's like, man, you cannot believe the people that will come out of the woodwork. And you think, man, there are some crazy people out there. You know, some of the stuff the sent, they send me, but that's the way it is. You know, anytime that you've, anytime that you voice an opinion on it, I don't care what it is. It could be you liking chocolate chip cookies over whatever people are going to say, that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. You know, you're going to have a segment of the population do that. Um, and I'm, it's the same with you. I mean, you're, you're a public figure I and mean, you've been out there a long time. You probably, you know, have experienced to some extent. I think anyone that does, that just comes with the territory. You can't please everybody, you know, but uh you know, I, and I don't mind if I, if I talk about something that people consider controversial, I love, you know, I want to hear, I want to hear their opinion on it. I want to hear their opinion based upon, you know, fact, critical thinking, truth without being emotional about it. And let's have a respectful debate on it. But when you call somebody like a stupid idiot, just for voicing an opinion without backing that up, that's just, that's sort of weak, you know? Well, I think one of the negatives of social media, one of the positives of social media is for the first time in history, a 19 year old kid in some has the same power or same voice as Coca-Cola or any brand you want to compare it to. You know, that that's an amazing thing, but it's also a negative thing because everybody's got a voice and um, and generally you know, even if it's a negative voice, you throw that negative out there, there's going to be people that will gather to it. It's actually one of the weird with building this podcast. It's one of the weird things that I've messed with where I'm just really I don't want to be. There's enough crap in the world. There's enough. You know what I mean? In my yeah. opinion, I'm like, this is an hour a week that people can come and just have a conversation. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's happy. And it, but, but always you leave it, you know, feeling like you learned something or right. whatever, but, but not with the, the mudslinging and, and that always goes to the top in social media. I find, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it, it's, I mean, if we opened this interview and I said, you know, let's go one-on-one and on how much you hate forward facing sonar. And if I'm all positive for it, this will get a lot more plays than this conversation, but it's, uh, it's not all about the plays. I would assume. I mean, yeah, I think it goes back to the whole concept of uh, being entertained over being educated and, you know, social media is a, it's a very interesting study into human behavior. I've learned a lot about people since I've been involved with it. And that's one of the things that I've learned about it is people want to be entertained. They do not want to be educated. I mean, they, that's why, like on, on in YouTube, that's why the titles are so critical. Because let's say, for example, I, I did a, a, a video yesterday on tech on how to Texas rig worms, something like that, and I put a title up there, something about ninety five percent of the bass anglers don't know how to rig a worm like this. Which people look like that's sort of weird. But if I would have said how to rig a Texas rig worm, nobody would watch the video. So there's a fine line between like, you got to say something that's a little bit edgy to even get people to tune in because if you don't, nobody's going to watch the thing. So it's like, I don't like to have to do that, but it's, it's just sort of a, a, a it's all it's sort of business, you know, I guess the way to put it. No, I agree. It, it is a weird, weird line. And and by even titling it like that, you're, you're asking, you're, you're, you're almost, goading on people right. that disagree. You know what I mean? Like he said, 95% of bass. Well, are you kidding me? I've caught bigger bass. Than, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard it all. I've heard it all, man. 
I, yeah, I, that's why I try to do, I, I, a couple times I do videos just on, I, I try to share some of the hate comments I get because people get a kick out of that too. So, but it's something, you know, I, I've never had anybody confront me in person ever. I mean, I, it's, you know, a lot of people, they, they have a lot of courage behind a keyboard, but they really don't when you're standing face to face with them. And I find a lot of times when you do respond, like you do, they're shocked. A lot of times people are like, well, I was, you know, I didn't really think you'd answer this or whatever. And you're just like, well, do you really think that the fishing industry pays that well that we have people to answer our stuff? (laughs) I mean, might for some, but uh, yeah. So the, I do have to hit on that one topic though, that you brought up forward facing sonar. And I, here's where I'm stuck on that. How can you be a tournament angler, which is, is, is the cutting edge and the, and then be against that at the same time. I mean, it feels like two worlds are colliding almost like being against it. Does it not put you at a disadvantage? Well, it's like people think that I'm, you know, the people that follow me think that I'm like some dinosaur that, that hasn't kept up with technology, but I was, I was fishing tournaments and winning tournaments back at Grand Lake in the late 1980s, with triangulating offshore structures and fishing, finding with a flasher like David Fritz does, and won a lot of tournaments like that. But as the technology progressed over the years, I gradually pulled away from that technology because I saw it losing a lot of the stuff that I talk about, which is the intrinsic value that fishing brings as far as a therapeutic healing, the pure, the, the more the pure, puristic aspect of it, yeah. the mystery, the magic that goes along with fishing. And I think once you lose that, once you get out there and you lose the the magic and mystery of not knowing what's out there and not knowing if you're going to catch them or not, I think it takes away a lot from the sport. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to that because in the videos I do with it, I get 80% of the people or more, they say, man, I totally agree. This is, you know, live scope sucks. You know, this is, you know, I get a lot of support. There's a lot of people that agree with me. And then there's the 20% out there that say, hang it up, you're a dinosaur, time for you to retire. That's why you suck so bad. That's why you hadn't won a tournament in a couple of, so many years. I get all that too. But I just think that at some point with this, and and this is a passionate subject of mine, at some point you got to say, when is it enough? I mean, at what point do we say, okay, guys, we've crossed the line here. This is too much. This is not what we're you know, this is not what fishing is. We got to get back to our roots a little bit. Every other sport does it. Every other, other sport has equipment limitations. They try to, to maintain some type of tradition on it. But in my opinion, I mean, as long as the electronic companies and the tournament organizations are subsidizing each other, there's no incentive for people to back off of that. And, and But the, here's the thing about it. There's things that can be done. You could even implement stuff like, you know, okay, you can use live scope or, or, you know, down imaging, side imaging, whatever in practice, but in the tournaments, you're limited to 2D sonar or have events where there's no, no live scope tournaments. You could, you could work your way around that, but I don't see it as a good thing, man. I, I don't, I just, I see it as something that's taken away from, from what the sport's really meant to be. And to, to simplify it, I mean, basically you just mean that moment, that moment of not knowing. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what it's taking away. I mean, because you can see the fish, yeah. but it, it, it just that I mean, and there is true. I mean, catch a fish off a bed. That's fun. Catch a fish that you don't know is going to hit. It is a whole different feeling. So I will admit that 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 and I don't have a side, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I just I just find it intriguing that you <laughs> who <laughs> wants to be on the elite series doesn't like it. And I'd be like, well, it's it. it torn but it also maybe tells me a lot about you as a person that you have enough scruples to say hey i do want to do this and i know that it would make it easier but that doesn't mean i'm it makes it right well here here's my point it's like the year before last you know i finished 13th and i fished all the bassmaster opens finished 13th in the points all every fish that i caught that year was with 2d sonar and I lost enough fish during the course of the season to easily have made the elite series to probably won the point championships that year. If I, if I'd have landed everything. So that told me right there, it's like, you don't need it. I mean, you do not need it. If you, if you focus on your strengths as an angler and look for that type of water, you don't have to have that compete, but 
for me, it's not, it's not really about me because man, I I've had my day in the sun, you know, I've won Bassmaster tournaments. I've, you know, made nine Bassmaster classics, a bunch of Forestwood cups. I, I like to see other people doing well. I, f- so for me, I, it's more of a principle thing. I'm not, at this stage in my career, it's just like, I don't care if I win another tournament, but I do want to leave something behind as far as maybe just make people think a little bit, you know, not that I'm ready to hang it up because I still love tournament fishing. I really do. I hate the traveling that goes with it. And you do, I think that's something you uh, get burned out more as you get older, but uh, still, as long as it, it makes you feel alive to be out there, you should probably still do it. Yeah, and it's amazing to me to see some of the longevity of some of the pros that have been around. You know, I mean, you can't even, you're not even close to, like, even, like, when you look at Rick Klon, you're like, man, I got years ahead of me to do this. Um, It it is amazing, but I I think that that's also who Rick is. Like, it's, I mean, a farmer's a farmer. He's always going to (laughs) plow. And a fisherman's, that's Rick. Like, he's got to crack that code. Yeah, and you know, if Rick didn't fish tournaments, he it, he would just be a shell of a person. I mean, that's that's what his love is, you know, with that. So, uh, and here's the th- I think one of the things important to remember: when you hit 50 years old in tournament fishing, there has not been a single angler that can transcend the natural course of events that your performance goes downhill. Look at Kevin Van Dam. I mean, every, everybody thought he was just you know completely untouchable. As soon as he hit 50 years old, he just became just sort of like a, an average, you know, professional angler. Almost every single one, not that, I mean, that, I mean that with respect. I mean, I got a lot of respect for Kevin, but what my point was is when you hit 50 years old, you know, you not, it's not physically that you lose anything, although like maybe your eyesight gets poor, you need reading glasses, but what happens is you lose that imagination and creativity that you had when you're younger. And imagination and creativity is more important than experience. If experience was everything in fishing, guys like Clun and Larry Nixon and those dudes would be impossible to beat. But that's why you got somebody like Jordan Lee that can kick, you know, guys like Rick Clun that has, you know, decades more of experience, but because they still have that childlike mind that has, they can experiment and they're creative and they're imaginative. Um, and that's that's what you lose when you get over 50. You get locked in. You've had so much success doing a certain thing that you're almost physically unable to make that transition back to that child mind. And I, there, nobody has transcended that yet. That has hit oh. that mark. I now, never they'll, thought they'll, about they'll, it like that. They'll, they'll have moments of greatness. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying you just completely go downhill, but you cannot maintain the level of performance that you had during that period of like 30 to 40, I mean, the, the period of 30 to 40, you're at your, your intellectual, imaginative, spiritual height as an angler. And then it gradually that just goes downhill. That's why guys, you'll see, you know, eventually the Jordan Lees of the world, the Chris Aldanes of the world, they'll all start, you know, fading by the wayside. It's just a progression of events and that's okay. That's just life, man. That's just, that's something we got to accept and with grace and dignity, but that's just the way it happens, you know? And when you explain it like that in my head, I'm thinking, and I'm comparing it. I don't know why I always do this, but I always seem to want to compare analogies outside of our sport, you know, outside of fishing. And, I, and I'm thinking, and you're like, it's not that abnormal. Like if you look at, I don't know why I'm, obsessed with insurance salesmen in this show, but I used them once as an example. But if you look at the, a group of sales folks, I bet you that 30 to 40 year old person is there. That's the one that's on the rise. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because, and I think it's also because other things become more important. I mean, life becomes more important. You realize when you become 50, you know, I assume you start to realize I'm pretty close to that. And I've already started to realize that it's, you know, it's, life moves on yeah. and you realize how important moments are. Um, so yeah, no, that's, it's a really good point, but I want to hit on one thing with you too, that, that, that you do that I think is pretty cool. And, and I'm a big fan of the mental side of the sport. And I know one of the things that uh, you do is, is have some mental videos just on, on the mental outlook. And one of the things you had recently was being present, which is something to me, I use the hashtag enjoy being all the time on 
posts all the time. And that's exactly what that means. Enjoy being because for so long in life, you know, we're pretty lucky to do cool things and yeah. you get so busy and it, you know, you don't stop enjoying. And the only thing that really matters is that moment. So I, that's why I kind of live by that. Enjoy being, but explain me to me your, your thought process with that. And when it comes to angling. Well, the, you know, I think that's one of the things that is one of the hardest things for humans to do is to be present fully because we're always, we're, been, we're bombarded with so much stuff that we need to do or we've done before and you just don't fully experience the moment. And in fishing, it's, imp it's completely important because it, it doesn't, it's not only the actual cast, but it's also how you spend your time on the water. Because if, if you're not, like when you, say for example, if you make a cast out there, from the time you make that cast, from the time that bait hits the water, if you're not completely in tune and focused on what that bait is doing and, and imagining and picture that bait coming across the rocks and the bottom and maybe spooking a crawdad and look, maybe picturing the bass looking at the bait and getting close. If you can't be absorbed into that, that cast 100%, then, you know, you're not living up to your fullest potential as an angler. The, the great anglers can do that. They can block out everything and be right there at the moment. And uh, I mean, that's, that's just something that is an exercise. And that's why a lot of the top fishermen out there, they can't talk while they're fishing. You know, if you got a, you know, a marshal or a co-angler that's a talker, that's the worst thing to pull you away from that present. You know, it's almost, it's almost like each cast is a meditation sort of with that. And another thing about being present with that is um, conditions change on the water. I mean, it, yeah. you know, the way the environment is on the water at nine o'clock in the morning is completely different than it is at noon. You have different sunlight angle, angles, light penetration is different, wind can be different, temperatures, and you have to be present in that particular moment to make the correct adjustments on your fishing, whether it be technique, color, retrieves, angle of your cast, locations, all that type of stuff. And you can't do that if you're thinking about you know, if you're thinking about the 3.30 weigh-in and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon and you got two fish in the live well and you, you're going to look like a fool coming up there with one fish, you're in the mo you're in the future at that point. Um, so it's, yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the hardest things to do in fishing. It is. It's easy to talk about and it's easy to wrap your mind around, but to actually execute, it's hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's easy to say focus on the cast, but tell me about focus on the cast at 2 o'clock when you have two fish in the box and yeah. you start i mean it's just human nature you start but i guess that that's what makes greats great you yeah. know that ability to to block all that out you know yeah. and, and just focus on the task at hand yeah and one of the most difficult things about it and the, the elite series anglers don't have to deal with it because they have marshals but one of the most difficult things to do with that is if you have a co-angler because if you have an aggressive co-angler there's nothing like an aggressive co-angler that will take you out of the moment because you can, if, if you're seeing his bait land three feet away from yours, every cast, you're not in the moment. You're not fishing your cast. You're distracted by, you know, your, your co-angler with that. So there's a lot of challenges out there with it um, that come in many forms. So I, I, it's funny to me because we started this whole thing talking about, you know, how you just do these videos when you have time and whatever's happening behind you or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, I guess that just is your ability to focus on that, that particular moment. Um, I mean, I totally agree with there with what you're saying there about being in the moment. And I think it's one of the smartest things to do, not just for fishing, but in life, you know, yeah. because we all spend, way too much time worrying about the past and worrying about the future. And, and while we're doing it, we're wasting the present, which is, you know, and, yeah. And when you do that, you miss out on so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I get pissed at myself a lot looking back at my life so far about how much time I wasted not being in the present about worrying about something that I thought was going to happen or thinking about something, some injustice that happened to me in the past and you weren't appreciating living here now so that's that's one of the great tragedies i think that should be taught in school the people that should learn that learn that uh discipline early on yeah i think there's a lot of things they should teach in school like yeah. here's an idea let's get rid of geography i mean i know it's great you should learn about the world and teach kids how to fill out like their tax returns yeah <laughs> important things like that yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, I've never used any algebra whatsoever in my entire life, and I wasted a lot of time doing it. I, I had a huge argument with a teacher once because, uh, to me, I mean, I'm, I've always the one thing I've been good at is talking, um, and I, I wasn't good at a lot of other subjects. And I, I always was like, well, why do I need to learn math? Because, you know, there's calculators, and I remember this teacher's thinking, so you're going to carry a calculator everywhere. And I have wanted to run into that teacher for so long and pull up my phone and be like, as a matter of fact, it's not just a calculator; it's a. <laughs> yeah camera it is you name it it does all of these things um yeah. but uh I, I guess if i had focused in the moment back then i'd be better at math mm -hmm. but i was too busy trying to get out of it yeah same here <laughs> actually the only reason i graduated math in college was i had the the guy sitting next to me he was like an algebra genius and i was like terrible i mean i i struggled in it like no other deal but um, he loved to fish and didn't have a boat. So we worked out a deal. He tutored me and I took him fishing and I passed my algebra in, in, uh, in my physics and algebra in college because, you know, we worked that deal out. Fishing can get you a lot of places. Yeah. What, what's next for you? What's the goal? I mean, it's, it's, it's a new year. Everybody makes resolutions. Do you do that? And what is, what's your goal? Like what's the five-year plan for you? Well, my number one goal right now is just really growing this YouTube channel. I really like doing it. I mean, that's yeah. the whole thing about it. I, it's, it's, it's rewarding. I enjoy it. It's fulfilling. It's creative. Um, so that's my number one thing on my plate right there. And then I'd love to win a Bassmaster tournament, get back in the classic, man. It's been a long time. So that's definitely on the, on the agenda. Although that's sort of like winning the lottery anymore. It's so tough to do that. But uh, the YouTube for me is, is sort of the, the big thing moving forward. Also, you know, working with Johnny Schultz at Fish the Moment. Johnny's great, and he's got a, a lot of stuff on the plate there, a lot of creative ideas on his own uh, YouTube channel and, and his website. So uh, partner with Johnny, and, uh, you know, the YouTube is going to be the big deal moving forward. How did you two get come together? Like, how, how did this partnership, friendship, everything come together between you and Johnny? I've known him since I first met him when he's eight years old. He was like the national kids yeah. champion. He, he dominated high school fishing and he came to a lot of the tournaments and he befriended a lot of, of pros like Clun. I mean, he works with, he does stuff with Rick with fish the moment now. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've known him since he was eight and I hadn't seen him for about seven or eight years. And I was down at Table Rock fishing about two years ago and uh, when I took my boat out of the water, he he was there at the ramp. He'd been fishing, and we got talking and this and that. And he told me what he was doing with Fish the Moment and um, sort of invited me to, to partner with him a little bit on it. And we've been doing it ever since. So it's been really cool. Yeah, it's worked out really good, I think, for both you guys. And and, uh, and uh, I think it's worked out good for all of us in the fishing industry because you guys pump out some great content. And uh and I thank you for doing that. Thank you for pumping out content that makes people think too, because I mean, and I'll be totally honest. I mean, one of how this whole thing, how we ended up actually doing this actual show, I went back in our correspondence and it started because I apologized to you for a comment that I made on YouTube because you made a video about, and in my defense, I had COVID at the time. So I, I was probably a little grumpy, um, but you made a video about uh, how you don't want a um, foot pedal on your bass boat for your right. back was your point. So I don't know, somebody, somebody posted on there and I, and I put on a amen or something because somebody was complaining, like, what is he complaining about now? And I did that, but I owned up for it, messaged <laughs> you when I got out of my COVID stupor. And I said, uh, I was wrong because I actually watched the video and afterwards I was like, well, as much as it bothered me, you made a really good point. So uh, that that's ultimately, I guess, what we all learn from these. Is, well, that worked uh, that good, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't admit to crap like that, but I know, uh, that was cool, man. I didn't. I, I wasn't offended anyway. So that's 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 cool. Yeah, but it, and I didn't think you'd be offended. I mean, I just thought, like, I just I thought about it, and I was like. I mean, I shouldn't have done that. I just because uh, I'd watched the video and afterwards and I was like, oh, well, now you look like an idiot. So you should own up to it. I mean, I learned a long time ago that people don't people will put up with idiots as long as they own up to it. So uh, I owned I, up to it. And 
I think a lot of people on YouTube, I think they comment on the titles more than watching the video. They may, they most of them don't even watch the whole videos. So what, what should I title this one? You seem to be good at coming up with some titles. What should I call this particular one? Oh man, God, there's no telling on that. I guess it depends (laughs) on if you want to, how controversial you want to be. (laughs) We'll figure something out, but I do appreciate you uh, doing this. And and I appreciate uh, everything you've done for the sport. I mean, I've been a fan of yours from back in the day and, and to watch what you're doing now and to watch how you've evolved says a lot about you as a person to evolve as an angler from, you know, there's a lot of people of your generation that are literally curmudgeony, you know what I mean? Complaining about YouTube, complaining about having to do social media, but you found a way to do it your own way and it's worked out incredibly well. Well, I appreciate it, Dave. And hopefully I'll get back on that stage and you can talk about a giant bass holding up on stage one of these days, but I can just get another win under my belt. So we'll see. Make it happen. I would love yeah. to see you. I, I would. Lo- I'd love to have you on the Elite Series. But it's. I mean, it's tough now. It's. It. Oh man, it's like the lottery getting in there. It, it really, really is. is. <laughs> I mean, you but, can't have a bad day to make no. it. I mean, you you, you got You can't even have one single bad day to make it. You gotta catch them every day. How do you do? Do you think that that should change, or do you think that's just the way it has to be, or? I'm sure you have some thoughts. Oh, I've got a bunch of ideas if you want to hear it on that. Um, Oh, I'm bring it. I'm, I'm not scared. I mean, well, okay, here, here's my, if, if I was like in charge of a bass, right. All right. What I would, what I would do is I would open up the elite series to 150 pros, 150. And I would take half of those pros that made half of the pros that were, you know, in the elite series were there because they were in the top 75 of the all-time winning, a combination of the all-time winnings or uh, uh, classic qualifications, have some type of a system based upon performance from classic qualifications, bass wins, all-time winning money leaders. That makes the 75 elite right there. There's 75 elite people. And then the other 75, give them the opportunity through the Bassmaster Opens um, you know, to, to qualify every every single year and have have a little bit more of a turnover. Also, um, oh, seventy five stay, but seventy five requal. Like you've got seventy five that stay, and then there's so half the field and seventy five well, that are new yeah. every year. Well, though, now those seventy five that are there through performance is going to change because you know that's constantly going to change with people moving up on the winning list or moving up on the classic qualification list. But therefore, that makes those 75. That still uh, lends credibility to the circuit as the elite. And uh, but right now, to have pick only three people off of 200 plus anglers per circuit is sort of like the lottery, you know. And I, I sort of feel like right now the elite series is extremely get, extremely difficult to get into and extremely difficult to get out of once you get into it. So I'd like to see a little bit more turnover on one side of it. And then maybe a little bit more of a protection for the guys that have supported bass over decades and proved herself through performance. I think the yeah. public, I think the public would appreciate that too. I, I do. I think that'd go over well with the public. Yeah. And I, I don't think that the system's perfect right now. I mean, uh, um, because I, I mean, look how hard, look at what you've accomplished and look at how hard it is to get in, you, you know, like I, and it's not just you, it's, I mean, and if you don't think it's hard, like just say to you, go look through anybody's tournament standards. Just look through whatever you want, the opens, the elites, FLW, and then tell me how many times each angler finished in the top three for angler of the year yeah. in any circuit. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's a it's a once in a it's it's a once in a career year. You have to have that one. Basically, you have to have three tournaments of a lifetime to make it with that and there and the cream always rises to the crop i'm not saying that that but you know if you, you could take somebody like van dam and there's no guarantee that he would make the elites again to finish in the top three i mean if, if he came back over to try to do it that's what i really admire about iconelli this year as much as that dude's got on his plate and to come back and qualify for the elites that is that's a stud right there i'm telling you yeah it, it's amazing i think it i've said for the last several years, the, the guys that qualify don't get enough, like just for qualifying, like just to, 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 they don't get enough credit for it. 
But to do it like Iconelli did it or even Hackney did it the year before, you know what I mean? To show up for one year, and get, it's almost unfathomable, you know, like, I mean, but and you, you look. You, yeah, you're going to have guys like that. You take guys like like Hackney and Jason Christie and, uh, you know, Scott Martin and Iconelli. Those guys are freaks of nature. I mean, they're they're at the one percent and everybody else is not at that level. They're simply in a different class of anglers. And you can you can go, go down on the elite series down to the mid part of the pack or the lower, and that gets more into the reality of what it is. But when you're talking with with a handful of those guys that are marquee anglers, they're just they're in a they're in a different universe, you know, than than anyone else. So what do you say to somebody if the if their if their argument back to that is well that's exactly how it should be that the one percent should make it through and it, it it'll be the ultimate of the elite. Well, as far as the, the as far as the qualification, the, the qual if the qualification if somebody wants to argue to keep them the way they are, they want the one percent in there, do they not? Well, well, yeah, but but then you have the argument is you know how much do you want to pull in tradition or history into the sport, and how much do you want it just to be a constant influx of people that nobody's ever heard of? I mean, there's arguments to both sides of it. I mean. You can look at the PGA Tour, you know, that happens to some extent, too. But nevertheless, when you're talking about a business model and where you want to draw in, you know, you know, potential members for Bassmaster or, you know, yeah. people that support the people that support it, they want to see the old dudes there. They, they, they these guys that have followed some of these people that have got a following. There's a lot of value to that. I mean, so it's there. You can argue the point either way on there. I just. You know, I, the, one of the things that I've always bothered me about the qualification for the Elite Series now is you can take somebody that has had very little tournament experience under their belt and they have three good tournaments. They just yeah. happen to put string together three good tournaments and they're, they, they're set for a career from those three tournaments where you had somebody else that has just has been in the trenches for decades and decades. Take somebody like Charlie Harley. That dude has solid no. fisherman he's been in the trenches forever and he hasn't been afforded those opportunities that some dude that just had three good tournaments happen maybe one in his backyard or something like that so there's it's tough man there, it's just like yeah. you said i i, I mean I'd, I'd there's no easy answer to it you're gonna you're always gonna defend some people and make some people happy off of it yeah yeah no and and i like i said from the start i don't think it's perfect. Like I think that a big step in the right direction would be more guys qualifying through the overall. Mm -hmm. First of all, that, that always has been, and that's not just for that's for the guys too, because you're, you've got people qualifying, like you said, that fish three events. And generally that doesn't bode well when they come to the elites, Yeah, <laughs> they've yeah. been tested. If you if you qualify through nine events, you've been tested, not just, uh, financially, emotionally, geographically, like you've traveled across the country, you've proved you can hang and catch fish in all these different areas. So I, I do think that I would imagine that it will continue to evolve. And that I would, I would just would like Randy Blockett in the Bassmaster Elite Series. Okay, oh, so let's do a vote or something. Here's the here's the thing they could do: Bass could take a poll of the membership. And they could put, okay, you, you could put 75 old school dudes up there that have been in the sport for a long time and then put 25 or 75, you know, young guns or new guys. They, they don't have to be young. They can just be somebody new and have the membership vote. Who do you want to see in the elite series? Who did, who did the fans want to see? And then how can you argue with that, man? If they're the ones supporting the organization, buying the products, you know, buying the sponsor products, you got to listen to the fans, man. But, but I'm just scared that we'll end up with like the Googans in the Elite Series. That's all it'll be. It'll just be like the Googans and every other big YouTube star will be in the Elite Series. Oh, and no. none of us. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, you would have it would be it'd be a, it'd be a, a re, it'd be a revisit from the 1990s, man. You'd have that. That's where you you'd have all the 1990s guys in there. I think. I th I think it would be cool. I mean, I I think that there's that's the one thing that I hate about the growing the sport or whatever you want to compare it to with the division in the sport, because I think we've gotten a little bit away from those kind of cool, creative things. You know what I mean? You've got a bunch of companies that are trying to stay alive, to be honest. You know what I mean? Like they're all 
cannibalizing each other's sponsors and and that it's tougher to have like I think we need cool events like that. You know what I mean? To bring guys back. And even if it's not just for the elite series, if it's just a few events or something. I mean, I I, I would be a a huge fan of it. I mean, I think one of the coolest things Bass could do is they could have a tournament and invite anyone that's ever won a Bassmaster tournament to it. Tournament of champions, that type of thing. Isn't that, I don't think that's ever been done, has it? No, I don't think so. And it, it uh, it'd be interesting to see who would, who would come back. Yeah, you might have Bill Dance back in it, you know, and guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. Basil no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dusty Pine. <laughs> yeah. Dusty Pine is, you know, that'd be great, man. It, uh, that's I, the cool cool thing I would, about. I would bet you the ratings on that show would be higher than any Bassmaster show of the year, except for the classic. If they if you, they did something like that, uh, I I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, but that's to me that that is also the answer to the age old question, you know, that everybody toiled a few years ago about bass and where the future. All those names, when you throw out those names, that's what makes you fall in love with bass fishing. You know what I mean? Like all of that. Winning the Bassmaster Classic is so amazing today because you've watched you it be won so many times. Yeah. You know, you 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 watched it when you were your son's age. You know yeah. what I mean? And and that's you can't change that. The Kentucky yep. Derby is the Kentucky Derby and the Bassmaster Classic's the Bassmaster Classic. And It'll Basil Bacon's be Basil Bacon and Randy Freaking block it is Randy block it. <laughs> well, the the classic nobody will ever transcend the classic. They're just they're you know they're living in a fantasy world if they think that's going to happen. So that I think we need that. I think I, I think bass provides a stability within the sport that is much needed and uh, respected amongst the world. And I I don't like I don't like the way that it's just we've lost track of how many dang circuits are out there. I don't think that's good for the sport. I think that it waters everything down and uh i just i think that bass plays an important role with that and the classic is the centerpiece of that stabilization it's it's uh the classic is the classics everything really it is like when at the end of the day it's everything that's why everybody fishes every like at every single level that's the that's the what you I mean, what did you look everything you've accomplished in the sport? And what did you when I said, what do you want to do? You're like, I'd like to make it back to the classic. I mean, it's yeah. just that feeling it's, once you're there, once you, you got to do it again. People don't realize that because in, in the 98 in the 1998 classic where I finished third and I was I was leading the tournament with two more people to weigh in. And when you're in that position, you're leading the Bassmasters Classic, two people to weigh in, 20,000 people in the stands. There's a, it's, there's, there's something, there's a, there's a uh, surreal aspect to that. And I can only imagine what some of these, like the, the people that play concerts of 70,000 people feel like. Oh, wow. And there's an, it's, there's an addiction that comes with that. And after mm-hmm. you've had something like that, you're willing to do whatever it takes to sacrifice, to, you know, sever relationships. It's, it's like a drug once you've experienced that. And for those of us that have experienced that, it's, it's like, that's why we still do it. That's why I'm 60 years old. Still out here fishing tournaments, man. It's, it's an amazing deal. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've never even fished the classic and I, and I just know that like when I retire from bass, I'll never, I'll always still search for that feeling. Like, when I walk into the arena still to this day, like, but with nothing's going on, when I just see the stage for the first time, the hair in the back of my neck stands up, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause it's, yeah. it's the classic, you know what I mean? Like I, I really do hear Ray Scott in the rafters. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. to, to me, it, it's, and I think that that's the one thing that bonds us all together though. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That that's why, we don't even really know each other that well. This is the longest conversation we've ever had can have this because there's that one thing that we all like, I get it. Like I know what you feel and you know what I, because we're, it's, it's just a weird. Yeah. Um, there's, it's an energy unique to itself for sure. You know? Yeah. It's very I think cool. Every sport probably has that too. Same guys that make the world series and get to play in the world series or whatever. I mean, they, you know, I, I 
I've got this friend of mine that he played in the Super Bowl back in the late 70s or something like that. Yeah. And that his life revolves around that one event. It's like that was such a powerful moment for him that it's like it just he sort of that's these his life centers around that. So it's uh it, it's an amazing and I, but it all goes back to the same thing. It's history, though. Like, I think that's what makes that like the Super Bowl is always going to be important just because of that. Like, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. the years of and and I think that's also why you see people get emotional, too, when they win big of it, because it's yeah. everything you've overcome to get there. And and it's so it's so freakishly rare. The the. <laughs> The percentage of success in this sport is so freakishly rare. Um, I, I think that's what kind of drives everybody. But yeah. um, and there's been a couple of classics that transcended all of them. When, when Clun won in '84 and '90, both those two wins right there, that did something for the classic that that just sort of solidified it in history. Like that, if you were at the 1990 classic, you know what I mean. It's like something happened to that arena that uh, you know just you know, put it on a different level. Yeah. There's been a handful of them like that. What, what classic stands out to you in recent memory? Do any of them or are they all older ones? Um, man, I, not as much recent as, as the ones in the past, you know, in the past, it seems like to me that, um, the last, the last one that really stood out as something that was just like, above and beyond anything else is when Clun won that 90 classic. I mean, being in the arena in that tournament, when he pulled in there at that last day, it, it was, it was just a, it was a, a surreal situation. It was just, yeah. and uh, I haven't seen that duplicated yet. Each, each classic is unique to their own. Yeah. I mean, each classic has got a, a storyline that's, that's appealing and attractive to everybody. But um, I, one of the ones to me, I guess is when Edwin Evers won the tournament uh, at Grand Lake, that was yeah. nine pound bag the last day. I mean, I I grew up fishing that spot. He won the tournament in in my fourteen foot flat bottom. So for he, for for him to fish the same log jams that I'd fished before and did, to win the classic, that that was an incredible feat to come back with the thirty pound bag and win the tournament. I just, it, I it, yeah, it was incredible. It yeah. and I I wonder and the reason I asked you if it, it's a, if 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 there's any that stand out recently, because I don't think it's a fair analysis. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's some of the magic is being lost with technology. You know what I mean? Just because everybody knows like the magic that you would have felt when Rick Clon pulled those fish out, nobody really knew like the chatter they might've, but it's, and I, and I still think that that moment of not knowing He's really the magic with our sport. You know what I mean? Like when people say that you yeah. got to see the, the weights and whatever. No, it's that moment. It's the, it's the sitting with your head between your knees, wondering, do I have enough? It's that anxiety that builds in you that makes that moment so special. I think. Yeah. We don't have that anymore with the, with the, I mean, we've become so good at, at uh, videotaping the tournaments that the, the, that's, that suspense is gone. But I guess yeah. on the other hand, that, that's something that 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 creates it all throughout the day. I mean, you can watch it yeah. all it all day long instead of just for 30 minutes at the weigh in. So, there's, yeah, it's funny. Back then, everybody was like, wait till the day when it's on TV or the day when you can see it. And you don't have to wait a month for the magazine and this. And now you're like, nah, back in the day when you didn't get any of this information, that was real magic. But yeah, or, or back in the day when they didn't even know where the classic was going to be till they got on a plane. That was that was the old school. Oh, I'd love to do. I mean, it's just so impossible because the event's so big now. But I mean, I still think that that is the that is the coolest thing to do. Yeah. I wish we would do that again. It you couldn't do it for the classic, but for some kind of different sure, event. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, that's it. We got, we can't talk anymore. This is too long. We're, we're <laughs> gonna, people are going to turn it off. So uh, so I'm bad at ending these things. So here's how I'm going to end it. W will you come back on here again? Because sure, I really man. do enjoy your outlook on things. Yeah, I'd love to anytime, man. All right. All right. Well, now hang up on me or do something controversial so we can get some clicks on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all out for tonight. I'll think about something maybe on our next, our next show. I'll come up with something. All right. 
thank you very much uh, for taking the time and uh, and thank your kids. I, I totally expected we'd have some kid run behind at some point. Yeah, I, well, they're in the other room there. Right there, they they got got the door closed, so uh, I think Cam's keeping them rounded up in there. All right, well, go and go and see your kids, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very okay. much. Appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. Well, I owe it. I owe a thank you uh, to all the humpers out there that pushed me to book Randy Blockett on this show. Um, me and Randy may not have talked much before this show, but I really enjoyed our conversation today. And um, I got to thank Randy for coming on here. I mean, I reached out to him right away. He, he was supportive to do it. And uh, I asked him, is there anything you don't want to talk about? He's like, no, open book. And uh, man, he proved that by opening up the interview, talking about literally the worst decision he made in his fishing career. And, uh, and I'm not calling it that. He calls it that. Um, and I love the way he called himself polarizing. I mean, I really, I've used that adjective for other pros in the past and they took offense to it, but I don't think it's an offensive term. And I think it's a perfect adjective for Randy Blockett. I mean, he is polarizing. You may not always agree with everything he has to say, but you want to hear what he has to say next. And um, thank you. I mean, uh, I appreciate uh, you being open and honest on this show, Randy. And and that's the way the world needs to be, really. I mean, you don't always have to agree with everybody's points. But we should all be open to hearing everybody's points. And um, I'm open to having Randy Blockett back on here anytime. And, and I would like you guys to thank him. And how you thank somebody in the social media world is give him a follow. Jump over to his channel and subscribe to Randy Blockett's channel. And while you're at it, hey, give us a subscription and a like and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll be back here pretty much every day this week. I mean, whether it's a short, a fishing tip, uh, a podcast, our new show, FYI, I'm, basically we upload something every day for you to waste time on. So come on back here and waste some time. Have a great week. Enjoy being an Uncle Bob. Take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmaster told you to. You hear?